Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Happy October, everybody. Happy October. We're going to continue to keep it real spooky today. I personally am still emotionally recovering from the Robert the Doll episode. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you. So I decided I need to go back to my safe space, which means I've landed once again in the safe arms of the Victorian era. <laughs> sweet, sweet Victorians. Oh, so today... I will be discussing spiritualism. Spiritualism is both a religion and a religious movement that saw its heyday in the 1840s through the 1920s. But obviously, it still exists today. Most of you are probably familiar with some of the tenets of spiritualism. Uh, it was most popular in English-speaking countries and particularly amongst the middle and upper classes. American spiritualists would meet in private homes for seances, at lecture halls, for trance lectures, at state or national conventions, at summer camps. I mean, they was attended by thousands and thousands of people. Spiritualism is grounded in the belief that there is this ethereal curtain the veil between this world and the beyond, and that veil can be lifted. Certain mm. individuals known as mediums, again, a term I'm sure we're all familiar with, they have the ability to communicate with the dead. Uh, as a religion, spiritualism is somewhat informal. Depending on who practices it, some of them feel like it does directly tie into their Christian beliefs and it doesn't conflict with them, while others reject Christianity outright. The church, of course, feels very strongly that it's not okay, <laughs> as I'm sure you know, Luke. Right, uh, but it deals with a lot of questions that church and that the religions of the time wouldn't address, right? So no. it fills a, a gap there. But there is actual reference in the Bible, like I think it's in Deuteronomy, that it's literally telling you, like, don't speak to the dead. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a sh about Deuteronomy, yeah. though? Oh, I mean, you know they hit on this in Leviticus, too, because that motherfucker <laughs> had way too much time on his hands. Here's an interesting quote from a scholar, Anne Broad. She's from the Antiquarian Society. She describes spiritualism as the movement had no identifiable membership because it had no formal associations for believers to join. It had no official leaders because it had no offices for them to hold and no hierarchies to sanction them. It had no creed, no authoritative text. Spiritualist luminaries set forth visions of ultimate reality so unique that many had to invent new words to describe the universe as they saw it. How can a scholar approach such an amorphous movement with so many self-proclaimed prophets? Mm. So yeah, it's very decentralized. There is, there's no structure at all. It's kind of this weird thing where it's like, it's for everybody, mm -hmm. but how do you follow it? <laughs> you know, so what we know about it today and, and how they were able to get members and gather people is because of there were at one point, I don't know, dozens upon dozens of spiritualist periodicals and journals that were issued. They had regular weekly issues going out. So that's how people learned about, oh, this medium is practicing this here. And oh, you can attend a lecture there. And so it drew people in in this very unique way is kind of this, you know, printed proselytizing, if you will. So uh, one of the most famous was the Banner of Light, 
which was mm-hmm. also the longest running. It went from 1857 to 1907. Um, but most of them, apparently, from everything I've seen, did not last very long because I think it, this is just like such a, I don't know, this this funky movement of mediums were coming and going and people were, you know, being found out as frauds very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's a fascinating topic. It's actually humongous in a way that I didn't fully understand when I started. This happens to me every goddamn time where I'm like, I'm just going to talk about this a little bit. And it's like, oh, wait, this is insane. It's huge. (laughs) It's a huge thing, right? And how do you possibly do it justice, put it in context? Right. So I'm going to distill this, you know, as we always try to do. But um, there's a lot that I'm not going to get into today. But the main thing to note is that it was incredibly popular. Mm. Like wildly so. Some stat I saw was by 1897, it had something like 8 million followers throughout the world. Massive. Yeah. And it had just like existed starting in the 1840s. So that's crazy. And we're not talking about like a time of television and radio. So it's like for something to spread like that, that's incredible. Mm. You know, but the fact that it, it was decentralized and that it could be anything, it could be what you wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, gave it some probably level of traction. Whereas if you were trying to follow Joseph Smith or whomever, you know, you had to kind of get on board with their was, policies, go yes. to Utah, you know, do some change your life around. Yeah. You know, those religious revivals. Exactly. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that's going to come up in a moment here. But let's talk about why it was so popular. And that's a great point for one is like it's a pretty easy movement to be a part of. Just join mm. in. Right. Right. But the thing itself, which is obviously communicating with the dead. It's not that this was a new concept. It wasn't created by the Victorians. There's certainly references to that in many ancient texts and many different cultures have always had contact with the departed as part of religious rituals going back, I mean, to the beginning of human history. Sure. Might I add, though, isn't it ironic that only what? Two episodes ago, I was talking about women getting burned to death for this shit. And now all of a sudden, the Victorians are like, no, this is fine. This is totally fine. (laughs) Fuck you guys. You know, it's synthesis. Right? It's it's the, it comes back around and it's in an acceptable package now. And people are like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, I can benefit from this. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, the Western world does make this extraordinary pivot from being completely terrified of this to embracing it so intensely. Mm. Uh, But these are the real reasons why it becomes such a thing in the 1800s. For one, this does all start in the burned over district, which Luke, you were just making reference to. Sure. Upstate New York. Yeah. Yeah. So upstate New York, this area is called the burned over district because there was such a hot religious fervor that spread throughout the area during this mm-hmm. time period there was this creation of these new religions specifically millerism and mormonism and so for this one to come rolling along it wasn't like whoa 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 what are you doing it was kind of the moment for something like that to come to be mm-hmm. there's sort of this questioning as well of religions and uh this is also what leads to sort of the second great awakening in terms of religious movements. The other thing that really influenced its popularity was the innovations in science at the time. You have things like the telegraph being invented, electricity is being invented. We're right on the cusp of the telephone. Mm -hmm. This is just a huge part of that questioning of Christianity and the Bible, because it's like, wait a minute, we have all this advancement in science and industry. So 
all this prevailing wisdom is previously said everything was created this way, but now, well, what if it wasn't? Right. Anything is possible. You're telling me now I can, through a system of little do 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 doots, I can talk to some guy in the middle of nowhere. Who's to say I can't do 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 to someone who's dead? Of course. Of course. It's the next logical progression. Yeah. Do you like my impression of Morse code, by the way? The doot doot doots were cute. The doot doot doots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, not hard to fathom, you know, when you're thinking in a 19th century mindset. Yeah. And the telegraph, really, that alone could be attributed to what becomes almost a Morse code-esque type of communication for mediums when they get into, you know, their table tapping and rapping yeah, and all rapping. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the real thing that really fueled it and what continues to influence people's desire to speak to mediums today is we all have this deep longing to connect to people that we've lost, our loved ones who have passed on. And at this point, we have discussed ad nauseum (laughs) about the dreadful mortality rates in this time period especially in terms of young children. Mm-hmm. And something that I had read that I hadn't really considered too was as we're making this switch from an agrarian society into a more industrialized society, people are having less kids. So in mm-hmm. some ways, like the loss of a child can be felt almost more deeply because that may be only one of a couple of kids you have. Right. And you people know? are pouring more energy into their children and child rearing is becoming something that's special and important in family life. Yeah. Whereas so you were just trying to you were just trying to cut the hay and make it work, honey. I like, need more hands. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Eunice, I need more children. There yeah, she is. Going. There's Eunice. <laughs> Eunice, girl, get it together. Your Eunice with her head, figure it out. It's 18, it's 1821. <laughs> Get going. She's doing her best. God. Chilling. (laughs) But besides infant mortality, we also experience one of the worst events in the history of this country, which is the Civil War. And that is when we see the greatest spike in spiritualism Mm. because there's just, there's no closure. You know, you mentioned in the Victorian Morning episode, Luke, death was a family affair dealt with at home. You could appropriately say goodbye to someone you love, go through your stages of grief and grieving. With the Civil War, your loved ones didn't necessarily come back. Right. How do you begin to deal with the loss of your son or your father or husband when you can't even bury them? One Mm -hmm. day- Yeah, they're made intangible. Yeah, one day you say goodbye to them. The next day, there's just a telegram telling you, sorry, they don't exist anymore. That's brutal. It's really brutal. So, you know, that alone could be enough motivation for people to long for something like spiritualism to come along. Because like you said, Christianity isn't offering you this. Nothing offers you this. No, you hope for eternal life, but that does nothing for the living. No. And they're looking for answers and they're hoping Johnny can give them an answer. You know, that somehow justifies or makes sense of their death. I think that's a big longing part of it. Yeah. Like what and and what exactly happened to you? Can you can you let me know that you're okay now? Like just any sort of closure, like I said, the comfort, solace. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is understandable why people would seek this out. So let's talk just a little bit about how it starts. 
spiritualism technically really owes its beginnings to a gentleman named Emanuel Swedenborg, who was an 18th century Swedish philosopher and a mystic whose writings on the spirit world, you know, he talked about there were actually three heavens, three hells, and sort of this interim destination, which I guess was like purgatory, but like better than purgatory because it's the world of the spirits. It's that it's like a mall. It's yeah, like it's you know. exactly <laughs> everyone's just kind of hanging out. This is where you go right when you die. And it was like, oh, this is yeah, I'm pretty much just home, but I'm not I'm not actually home. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah. It seemed it was very confusing the little bit that I read on it. I think you'd need to That's really so interesting. dive deeply into his thinking. But basically one of the things I liked that he said was love of self drives you to hell love of others drives you to heaven sending a message there yes so but the i don't know what <laughs> i didn't do enough research to be like so how do you get out of that like weird middle space <laughs> you were sort of selfish but you kind of did things for others we're not quite sure what to do with you or it's you don't know where to go you know, they always talk about ghosts or these like lost spirits who have unfinished business. And so yes. the idea of like, you know, oh, let me speak to my let's use Johnny. <laughs> let's speak to Johnny, Poor Johnny. So his so his soul can be at rest. Right. Maybe he can find yeah. this other plane to live on. And his main thing was God does not make the determination you do. You wow. Yeah. No, it's really complicated. That's why I'm like, mm. I can't really get into all of this. Yeah. You deliberately cast yourself there and you keep yourself there if all you care about is yourself. Right? It's like, it's a lot. It's your fault. It's your fault. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with him. Uh, yeah. So he also claimed that he had seen and talked to spirits on all of the planes. So, I mean, you know, I don't know about Sus. his credibility, <laughs> but whatever. So, yeah. A self-proclaimed mystic? Sure. Right. Right. Then you have Anton Mesmer. Ooh. Mesmer, which that name mean anything to you? The you, word. Of course, audience. Mesmerizing. Mesmerize. Yes. Uh, he proposed that everything in the universe, including the human body, was governed by some sort of magnetic fluid that could be manipulated when it was imbalanced, because that imbalance is what causes you illnesses. Very like humor-like talk. You know what I mean? Making progress, but not quite there. Right. And so he believed by waving your hands over a patient's body, a.k.a. mesmerizing them, right. he would put them in a trance. And while they were in that hypnotic state, he could manipulate that magnetic force and restore them to health. So he- Perfectly was, invisible. Uh, yes. Impossible to disprove. Yeah. So he was, he was interesting because it's like- so you're really kind of, you got one foot in science, but you still got one foot in kind of this mysticism. So we're not really all the way there yet with any of these, but this is sort of part of the soup that is spiritualism. Most people say spiritualism really begins as a movement on March 31st, 1848 in Hydesville, New York, at the home of the Fox family. Their Quaker mm. family, consisting of parents John and Margaret, as well as their three daughters, Leah, Maggie, and Kate. Incidentally, Hydesville no longer exists as a place. Uh, it's a hamlet that's part of the township of Arcadia in uh, Wayne County, uh, in what I believe is now Newark. 
New York, just outside okay. of New York. Yeah. At the time, it was believed by many that the house they were living in was haunted. And uh, the family had been living there in relative peace, with the exception of these strange sounds of knocking mm -mm -mm. and moving furniture about. Odd sounds. This one night, March 31st, Kate, the young daughter, the girls, by the way, uh, Kate and Maggie, who are in living in the house at the time, are respectively 11 and 14 years old. Kate decides to confront this entity, whatever it may be making the noise. They believed it was a spirit. She snapped her fingers and asked it to do the same. It did. She asked it to wrap out the ages of the girls. And it did. Everyone was completely shocked by this. And soon neighbors were called in and the girls continued to do this tapping, this rapping, if you will. A certain number could signify a yes answer or a no answer. And eventually it got to the point where a certain number of taps would be a letter of the alphabet. So it got fairly mm. complicated at one point, which to me, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking long did that take? <laughs> I would have screwed that up too. <laughs> oh my god, no, no way. That's why when it like you get into the part of this where people are charlatans, it's like you're not without your talent. I'll tell you that. Very, very skilled. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, the girls begin referring to the entity as Mister Splitfoot, which mm. apparently I'd never heard this one before. But apparently, that's another name for the devil. Ooh, like a hoof. Yes, exactly. Ooh. Like. Like a cloven, a cloven. Ooh, I don't like that. That's freaky. But despite that, it comes to be revealed via the rapping and tapping <laughs> and whatnot that he was actually a man named Charles B. Rosna, who had been a salesman minding his own damn business when he was murdered at the house and then buried in the basement. So he's the ghost and the devil. He's stuck. I mean, I think he really was just a ghost. <laughs> I think that they <laughs> they misidentified him at first. <laughs> and then he's like, no, Got idiot. It. I'm a ghost. No, I spelled I spelled split foot. Uh did, <laughs> did you didn't get my taps correct? Hello. <laughs> did you get my doo-doo dudes? Uh -huh, it's like me. you're making this up as you go. <laughs> uh, you need like uh you need like a decoder ring. Like <laughs> <laughs> so uh naturally when people heard that, they lost their fucking minds mm. without ever questioning for a second that these two little girls were full of shit. Mm -hmm. Guess what? They really were. They were super full of shit. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But in the meantime, people are like, oh my God, these girls are incredible. But we've got to get them out of this house. Everybody, they abandoned the house. And mm. the, the girls are sent to Rochester, New York. But the infamous wrappings and tappings continue. They follow them. And Ooh. it's actually, yes, it's through the Fox's family friends, which was not easy to just say that. I'm so proud of myself. Their friends, Amy and Isaac Post, who are also radical Quakers, they believe strongly that the girls' gifts have to be shared with others in the Quaker community. And that really is the core of spiritualism. It's it's radical Quakers there. That's the core audience. And, you know, I don't know how much you or our audience really knows about Quakerism and sort of the foundation of that, which I'm super not getting into, but yeah, the, soci the society of friends. <laughs> yeah. They are known as the friends 
France. But yeah, Quaker was actually a derogatory name for them that they decided to own because they would apparently quake and shake mm -hmm. because they would be so filled with the spirit. When you look at the beliefs of Quakers, you see the same sort of progressive beliefs in spiritualists. This includes things like they're abolitionists. They are temperance heavy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they believe in equality for women. And in general, just like any, you know, lefty social thing you could think of, that was what they were all about. Mm -hmm. Also like Quakerism, like I mentioned, there's no leadership. That's where that also comes from. So, you know, anyone can hold a meeting or a lecture mm -hmm. or in this case, offer to do a reading as a medium. You don't even need to have any kind of like expertise to be a medium. In fact, I was just looking right. at like one of the churches recently and it's like, here, come take a course to become a medium. I was like, ah, oh, all right. <laughs> sure. I Buffalo Nickel, I'm there. Yeah, sure. What else? The other thing that's really attractive here is you don't need priests or anyone to speak on your behalf to God or spirits. Again, that's from the Quakers. Mm -hmm. And as a religion, it's pretty loosey-goosey, and thus, so is spiritualism. They do at some point create like a declaration of their beliefs, but beyond that, there's no Bible written right. for them specifically. As religions go, it's pretty easy. <laughs> pretty democratic, and no barrier to entry, no authority. Mm -hmm. Nope. Right? Nope. Mm -hmm. Nothing at all. Like No fees, as far as I could tell. No tithing. Great. No, not that I could tell. So yeah, it seems like... How could you go wrong? Why wouldn't you become a spiritualist? <laughs> sounds great. If I had to pick a religion at the time, easy. Yeah, why not? Like Quakerism in general sounds like pretty cool. Like, I'm just going to get up and stand here and talk about how filled I am with the spirit today. Okay. Yeah. Apparently Nixon was a Quaker, but it sounds he, like he dropped a lot of the progressivism. He <laughs> was not a good one. <laughs> not a friend. <laughs> not He was no one's friend. I'm pretty sure he didn't have friends. <laughs> he was kind of a friendless dude. Isn't that sad? He was, yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, he's not, he's not our problem right now. Let's get back to our story here. So how did this become so popular? How did it spread around? Once the Fox sisters had been discovered, they became such a sensation that people were requesting seances with them to the point where there were so many, it became pretty clear, we should start charging for this. <laughs> and so they began profiting off their engagements and people would pay upwards of like a dollar per person or more for a session of a, in a room of like 30 people. That's not cheap. It's not cheap. And, you know, eight, 1840s, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty penny. It's a pretty dollar. Yeah. At one point, the sisters, the, all three of the sisters now are doing this together. Uh, Leah, who's the old, eldest sister, she decides she's going to kind of manage them. But she also is a medium now, too, apparently. Uh, they embark I on it. I am a medium, too. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm, I've been a medium a little bit longer than you, so. <laughs> That's Penelope. Penelope! <laughs> Uh, so they take on the the whole of the United States doing a professional tour to spread the word of the spirits. And this was so cool. I found this out. They stayed in Barnum's Hotel, which Ooh. I did not know was on the corner of Broadway and Maiden Lane, which is where I lived when I lived downtown. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? 
That's that was awesome. I know that wasn't owned by PT. It was owned by a cousin of his, but it, you know, it's all in the Barnum family. Yeah. It's the Barnum cult, the Barnum brand. Yes. Yes. And he comes up with a Trump knockoff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, Ooh, spooky. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. This is from an editorial in scientific America. Apparently they scoffed at their arrival because immediately the scientific community is like, this is fucking stupid. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. The moment this starts, there are skeptics as well. There should be. Mm. They call the girls spiritual knockers from Rochester, which I kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what knockers. (laughs) But, you know, it also immediately. Yes, of course, it's going to garner its skeptics, but it also garners intense fans like immediately members of New York society. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 sitting on them for a minute. Yeah, good for you. You could have said you could have stayed on it longer. <laughs> anyway. Uh also hoaxes. Yeah, okay. You know, hoax. there's there's themes there. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh <laughs> so some of the more fancy pants peeps who would have been there in those early days would have included Horace Greeley, who Ooh, was, him. yes, uh an extremely influential editor of the New York Tribune for those who who don't know that name. I think if you've ever worked in a New York museum institution, you've (laughs) rifled through endless microfiche. Huge figure. (laughs) beard. I mean, what a guy. Great beard. Oh my God. But totally a spiritualist was hella into Mm -hmm. it. Hella into these girls specifically. Other people, uh, William Cullen Bryant, the poet, well-known abolitionist, William Lloyd Garrison, also a big fan of the, yeah, big fan Mm. of the Fox sisters. So yeah, it's also going to attract more liberally minded individuals as well. People who are open to the possibilities. Right. And they right? legitimize them, I'm sure, to some measure. Absolutely. Having these endorsements. Yes. And uh, the, I believe it was one of the sessions that at least one of these gentlemen went to, but it, I have something here that said they witnessed a session in which the spirits wrapped in time to a popular song and it spelled out, spiritualism will work miracles in the cause of reform. As political too. What song do you think it was? Why do you ask me questions I don't know the answers to? <laughs> I, I don't hate know, that so I much. Do, I don't know the answer. I'm trying to think about what it could be. I have I'm no like, idea. What, what would sing with that? Spiritualism will work miracles <laughs> in the cause of reform. I've just been singing in my head, rapping and tapping and hoaxing <laughs> and talking. <laughs> Lying and scheming. <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically. But yeah, they were sensations and they were making hand over fucking fist doing this Mm. and it's a truly incredible thing because being a successful woman in the victorian era was not a thing no not at all no we are hella repressed at this time you could maybe be an authoress if you were so lucky Yes, if someone was willing to take you seriously enough Correct. to print something Correct. Yours, where it didn't require you to have, you know, a numb de plume or something. Mm-hmm. And they weren't just making money. They were making money to speak publicly, to give lectures. Also, not a thing. Not a thing. They're offering <laughs> spiritual Lyceum, absolutely. No. They're offering spiritual guidance and advice to men. It's just wow. they had so much power in a yeah. time where most women had zero yeah negative power yeah so needless to say many other people see what's going on and they're like uh 
yeah, I could talk to the dead too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Once it was clear there was money to be made and there was a demand for these services, everybody got on that bandwagon. Copycats. Oh, yeah. At minimum, you know, this was a curiosity for some people. Some people thought of it as entertaining. Uh, but there were some people who took it very seriously and really were searching for that meaning and that connection. People including Queen Victoria. Hello. And one and a big fan was Ms. Mary Todd Lincoln, who even had uh, poor Abe, likely against his will, attend a seance in the White House, in the Red Room of the White <laughs> yes. House. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. No. And the, I mean, seances for her was, God, I mean, we already talked about in the Lincoln Body episode, it, it was such an effective coping mechanism for her to feel like she could connect to her children. And she once said to her, her half-sister, Willie lives... He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of the bed with the same sweet, adorable smile that he always had. So it brought her a lot. She was a big devotee, for sure. Huge, yes. Performing seances becomes all the rage. And again, we can understand why. Uh, but it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm having one in my salon this week. You weren't cool or you weren't like part of society if you weren't participating in seances on the regular, you know? So it was something just, about status. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think it also like is a little bit, ooh, this is kind of naughty that we're doing this, right? So yeah. that adds to the allure. And again, we can understand why specifically in regards to the Civil War, some of the facts and figures I saw, the numbers like doubled, if not tripled because of the Civil War, the amount of people who were getting involved in the spiritualist movement and who were attending seances and trying to make those connections with their loved ones. Again, the loss was so atrocious and you're never receiving the remains of your loved ones. So, you know, being able to connect with your loved ones once again was a priceless thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll pay for it. I'll totally give you money and pay they did. It was a booming business. It was an industry in and of itself. Mm. What is super fascinating, most mediums were women. Right. Yeah. The reasoning was that it was believed that women were more spiritual in general and therefore they could communicate more freely with the other side. Practically speaking, it attracted women because women were getting a lot of freedom out of this. <laughs> like Way I out. Said, hell yeah. They were allowed to speak publicly, which, you know, imagine that. Such a treat. And uh, it invited them to have a seat at the table as religious leaders. Right. Some of these mediums became the head of spiritualist churches. Mm. That was not a thing. There was no opportunity like that in Christianity for women. There's still really isn't in right. like Mary Baker Eddy had her own thing with Christian science, but yeah, this is, this is much bigger. Many, if not most of the women were, uh, and one in particular, Cora L.V. Scott was a trance lecturer. And that essentially mm. meant they would go on stage and fall into this trance state and the spirit would come to speak through them. And generally they would be chiding men for being just total bastards about the yes. way they treat women, their horrible drinking habits, visiting prostitutes, how they oh, treat great. the enslaved black people. And really big was talking about the treatment of Native Americans. Really? 
Yes. There's entire books and journal articles written about like there must have been this festering white guilt within the members of the spiritualist movement that they made it a big part of a lot of their lectures and seances and spirits of Native Americans were often present in these seances. Well, isn't that interesting? Because if this is well, if this is not a hoax, then the idea of like the great spirit of indigenous culture, mm-hmm. you know, is speaking through these people and is yeah. demanding for a cultural shift or recognition of genocide of being pushed off their homelands. That is very interesting. And that is is very ahead of its time. Very. I feel as if people were aware of the original sin of Indians, but people weren't really openly talking about it. No, no. And same thing with the enslaved. I mean, you know, 1840s, Mm -hmm. we're not, we're, you know, we're having arguments about slavery for sure, but like, we're still a decent ways away from abolishing it. So, I mean, when you think about a little lady is standing on stage saying all this and it's like well i'm not saying it it's the spirit saying it so you can't Correct. get mad it's at the, me it's the, it's the spirits how amazing is this that they that they even just got away with it let alone oh, people were paying them to do it it's it must for, have felt so good fuck yeah and it's why to some extent like in those particular situations i'm like fucking go for it you do you the manipulation mm-hmm. of human beings' emotions, I don't love that. But this one, I'm like, yeah, that all day. <laughs> and speaking of now manipulations of people's emotions, let's get to seances, shall we? I know most of us probably have a decent sense of what goes on at a seance. But for those that don't, I thought it would be useful to explain a little bit about the types of things one might have encountered during a Victorian seance. Yeah, so as I'm sure you've seen many times over, or perhaps you've participated in a seance. Have you, Luke? Have you ever done one? No. Neither have I. The reason is, and I meant to ask you this question earlier, because like you and I both were brought up Catholic, so all of this stuff is also like unacceptable in the Catholic church. No, like a Ouija board would be, uh, you know, would be very rebellious, let alone an actual seance. Oh my God, no. So yeah, so there's still that piece inside me that like oh my god this is wrong this is wrong you can't be part of this <laughs> but Heresy. Uh, yeah exactly so that that's stays strong within me but still this is it's fascinating stuff and i kind of do want to go to one now after reading more on this simply for i think it would be fun so you would sit at a table in total darkness perhaps you'd begin by praying or singing a hymn and then the spirit would make its presence known now it turns out spirit can communicate in a lot of ways that I was not totally aware of. It could be done through table knocking or or spirit rapping, which was a major one that, as we mentioned, with the Fox sisters who apparently were big rap artists. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> like, that was such a dad joke. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, other things would be table rotations where hmm. everyone places their hands on the table and they wait for the table to rotate, which it would, which apparently is similar concept to like a Ouija board where the table would be moving as a means to communicate. The alphabet would be slowly spoken aloud and the table would tilt at the appropriate letter spelling out words and sentences, which, by the way, sounds like it would take fucking forever. (laughs) And really hard to interpret. Like, oh, my God. Well, also, yeah, 
which I kind of think is maybe the point also. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It could be several things. And if, it, if, it, if it's Johnny or Tommy, whatever, it like res- you know, re- resonates with somebody in the room. Yeah, exactly. Then, of course, you do have things like planchettes or Ouija boards. They, they operate very similarly where, you know, everybody has their hand on it and it's moving towards a letter or a number or whatever. And so far, I've talked about things that are very easily debunkable, obviously mm-hmm. tapping, wrapping, whatever. There's ways to mimic that Ouija boards. I have done a Ouija board and someone is always moving it. <laughs> yeah, it's like you were saying, the power of suggestion is very, very seductive. Yeah, you know? there is also I forget the name of it, but there is also like this response that your body can have where like you don't mean to be moving it, but you are moving it and you don't think you're doing it, but you are doing it. So there's been a lot of studies on this stuff. So yeah, maybe I think in the situation of a seance, someone's probably manipulating it. Absolutely. You know, so uh, yeah, then you have, I love this one, the spirit trumpet. Ooh, I know. This one I really love. So the spirit could speak through someone by possessing their vocal cords. <laughs> but apparently the spirits are still so quiet that the only way you can hear them is if they hold a trumpet to their mouth and then you could hear the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are these like long, like Ricola commercial looking fucking things. <laughs> An actual trumpet. Not it's not like, that not their hand around their mouth. It's like a horn. No, it's a horn. Oh a full blown horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so that one doesn't really take much explaining because no. <laughs> that's just a guy or a girl talking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Then you have slate writing. Are you familiar with slate writing, Luke? No. Yeah. So this was a newer one for me too, where apparently you take two pieces of slate, you know, like chalkboards. And you would put a piece of slate chalk between them and you'd ask the spirits a question or whatever. And then you would open the slate and there would be words there. There would be an answer. And apparently this was done like a bunch of different ways. As simple as like the person would actually have like the pencil between their toes and be writing under the table. Because again, it's totally dark. The reason the room was totally dark was so people could put on a real good show. You couldn't see the strings. Yep, exactly. Even like little things where they have something on their thumb so that they could do it really slightly or they would have previously scratched a word into the surface and then like wet it so you don't see it. But then what? by the time the moment has come for you to reveal the word in the slate, it's dried and you can see the etching. So... Yeah, it's just, it's trickery. Clever. Yeah, Clever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's bell ringing. That was a big popular one. That was another thing. You could easily have, you know, a string attached to your foot or something under the table. A lot of this stuff was under the table shit. A lot of people also worked with with assistants. They had other people who were helping behind the scenes sure. that you didn't know were there. One of the most famous and popular things of this time period, not necessarily at a seance, but, and Luke, I'm sure you're a big fan of this, spirit photography. Oh, of course. I know, I know. And these are amazing. We're going to post a bunch of these, but a man named uh, William Mumler was particularly famous for his work as a spirit photographer, where essentially, I'll use the example of Mary Todd, again, who was a fervent believer in this stuff, she requested a photo 
a spirit photo of her and her husband. And so when you look at the photo, she is sitting in a chair and you see the ghost, the visage of Mm -hmm. Lincoln behind her or seemingly with his hands resting on her shoulders. And, you know, that's not real. (laughs) And she looks like the closest thing to kind of happy in the photo. Like she looks like she's thrilled. It's the last photo she ever sat for. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Um, the depths of the grief, man. Oh, oof, that poor woman. But basically, that was found out pretty easily at some point. They realized it's just a double exposure. You're essentially right. superimposing something or someone else during this double exposure. So it's it's essentially early Photoshop, if you will. Well, that goes back to what you were saying about how... <laughs> exactly. But that goes back to what yeah. you are saying about how technology is like, well, you can't see with the naked eye, but with my lens, I can capture the spirits that are all around us. And here's proof, you know? And it's... Yeah. People don't even know how photos are manipulated so quickly, you know, and so early, you know, so it was... Yeah, people didn't understand photography. And if they had sat for a photo, they didn't understand the... Certainly not the actual like printing process. Yeah. Just yeah. like we don't understand a lot of technology we, we deal with every day today. Yeah. Tell me how my phone works. I really don't know. No idea. No <laughs> idea. No idea. So yeah. So that's a huge one. And the, one of my favorite things about uh, William Mumler is he actually got brought to court uh, for fraud, for this particular fraud, which this happened to a lot of mediums during this time as well. But it was specifically... P.T. Barnum, who brought the, the case. The Bunko King. That's what I'm saying. You know you're a bad person if Barnum is calling you a fraud. And he specifically <laughs> did it because he felt that it was disgusting to prey upon people's grief that way. To make people That's think, interesting. Yeah, to make people That's think, the line you couldn't cross with P.T. Barnum. Yeah, so now you know. <laughs> the king There's of- a sucker born every minute, yeah. but don't you dare. Don't you dare manipulate people who are going through yeah. grief. No, which I mean, okay. Respect, respect that's a line, for that's that. a line to draw. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The other one, and this was one of the most popular things that mediums did, was automatic writing. This is mm. also called psychography. And it's oh. this claimed, I know, it's a cool, cool word. It's a claimed psychic ability that allows a person to produce written words without consciously writing. So literally, you'd sit there, you'd do your prayer, or whatever and then oh she goes into her trance and she's just writing 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 writing, writing. and some of these automatic writers would be like oh she, she's shakespeare shakespeare is writing through her and or like oh my god she's writing like this german philosopher she doesn't speak german how is she doing this <laughs> um so some of them were like really really impressive but nine times out of ten it was pretty easy to figure out that it was you know they're just writing <laughs> It's got to be a famous person, too. I love that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, they that was part of seances as well was it wasn't just about connecting with family and loved ones that you knew. They wanted to talk to important people that had passed away as well. And that's when it's more entertaining versus where I agree with Mr. Barnum, where you're preying upon people who are going through something horrible Mm -hmm. because it's not like you're taking their money. Yeah, you're not doing this for free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're not doing this for free. You're not doing this because it's the kind, nice thing to do. You're doing this to make money. So mm-hmm. that's that on that. That's on you. And there's so much other shit happening in the room during seance. <laughs> like the tables may levitate. Objects may levitate. The medium may levitate. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this stuff is like, you know, they got good at like rising their toes in their shoes, you know, to make it seem like they were levitating. And in the dark, what can you... It makes Victorians seem like they're very stupid when you look at how some <laughs> of this stuff was done. Very gullible. Yeah. Like, they just wanted it to be real, I feel like. Yeah. It's a group you know? think. Everybody's invested in this. Yeah. You might experience being touched by an entity not realizing yeah there's just like some other guy in the room that you didn't know is in the room <laughs> probably a um, bit of selective blindness there yeah yeah or you might even see an apparition which was actually just like they had a doll set up where they like <laughs> rolled it into the room yeah it's just you but by far and away my favorite one is ectoplasm. I was going to ask about that. Oh yeah. my God. Ectoplasm yeah. is the best. And I can't oh wait God. to put up the photos of this for you guys if you've never seen them before. <laughs> ectoplasm is known as a substance or spiritual energy. The material is excreted as almost a gauze-like substance from orifices on the medium's body. And it's said that the spiritual entities are draping the substance over this over there it's all over them they they're like dripping in this stuff and that is partially what helps them to interact in the physical and real world some of the ectoplasm is so funny it's wild and oh and i by the way i said orifices and i mean all of the orifices a lot of these bitches were pulling that straight out of their crotch <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the mediums oh, um a lot of the mediums often were like very lightly dressed bordering on straight up nude which definitely made these popular and oh, made yeah. them like a little more salacious and sexy seances were very sexy too so mm. you have this woman who's like in this trance and like you know her boobs are halfway falling out and then she just <laughs> pulls this ectoplasm out she's of her like melisandre from game of thrones she's exactly. just this woman now so in the movie uh haunting in connecticut i think they they do ectoplasm do they and it's it's very cgi it basically like if you imagine like the heaviest like vape of your life it's like uh, like this like smoke like Perfect. coming out Excellent. but what was the ectoplasm made of in the in the 19th century what generally was the, what was the material generally it's cheesecloth <laughs> oh that's boring <laughs> It's so boring. <laughs> it's just gauze, cheesecloth, or whatever. Like, okay, it's really not. It's really not. So it's good. kind of like when a magician's like, oh, 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 like pulling out of their mouth. That's exactly what it is. It's the, the you're okay. gonna die when you see some of these pictures. They're so fucking funny. Wow. And the reason why there's pictures is because part of the skeptics started to go into these rooms and like, you know, I'm just gonna take some photos. And perhaps the mediums didn't understand that the flash would reveal a lot. <laughs> what would come to light? Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, needless to say, regardless of whether or not you're a believer, this shit is entertaining. And some oh, people, it sounds so fun. Absolutely. And some people did it because it was fun and exciting or a little scary. But like I said, some people did this out of a place of incredible longing. So that's why it isn't really fun or funny when people are charging people for this shit because then you have people like mary todd or or and i haven't even brought him up yet but he's super important to the story uh sir arthur conan doyle the author of sherlock holmes he was a 
hardcore spiritualist. And he was a skeptic at first and he did investigations and was totally taken in by the Which movement, so by the funny. mediums. I know. It's really such the a, irony. Such a rational type, you'd think. I know. You know. And a science minded guy. And Observation is the Sherlock, like, you know, yeah. character. What really yeah. did him in, though, was it was the death of his son. He died of pneumonia. And so that was the final. It's a need. Yep. That was the final nail in the coffin. And I think, you know, again, we'll get more into him later. But I think also once you are a famous person who has put your reputation on the line and said, this is real, this is a thing I believe, to roll that back and not feel like a total fucking idiot is pretty hard to do. But that being said, he, I do do believe he believed it 100% the entire Mm -hmm. way. His wife. Uh, Lady Doyle was an automatic writer. So that he really had to stick to his guns on this. But yeah. So skeptics came out immediately. Like I said, one of the first real bits of work done on discovering the fraud side of this, there was something called the Sabert Commission, and it consisted of members of the University of Pennsylvania. I believe it was their science department, which of course, scientists are the ones who are the most like pissed off and angry besides like you know <laughs> the church they're the yes. angriest about this whole thing because they just are calling it pure shenanigans. <laughs> well yeah because it's it scientists are furious because it's like you're taking yeah. all of this technology and you're manipulating it for these horrible purposes <laughs> you're yeah. also trying to tell us that there's these different planes of existence and that's not fucking true so yeah everyone had an axe to grind with the spiritualists it's pseudoscience and pseudo-religion so it's right. it's got enemies left, right, and center. Exactly. So that goes on. The commission goes on from 1884 to 1887, and they went on this fact-finding mission about how credible a certain number of mediums were. It essentially proved that every single medium they investigated was completely fraudulent. Then in 1882, there was the founding of the Society for Psychical Research, which still exists today, and a lot of other psychic-related organizations also came up around that time that do still function today, and all of their position is they're always searching for some sort of paranormal existence. But from what I can tell, most of them are pretty good about more often than not saying this isn't real, this is fraudulent, what have you. And that is the beginning also of a lot of these cases going to court, Mm. because yeah, people were getting duped, essentially, and lied to, and their money was being taken. But that's just the beginning. Because then come the Fox sisters. In 1888, Maggie comes out and admits that they were frauds. She gave it up. She gave it up. She went on a public, it was an actual public stage that she went on and explained the following. When we went to bed at night, we used to tie an apple to a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. Mother listened to this for a time. She would not understand it and did not suspect us as being capable of a trick because we were so young. (sighs) She goes on to further explain how the girls did some of their knocking noises. And with the Fox sisters specifically, they could manipulate the joints in their toes, which when I think about that makes my skin crawl so heavily. It's so, it's so it's disgusting. So but I she, hate toe cracking. Ugh. And if someone like tries to crack my toes for me, I will kick you in the 
fucking face. Don't touch my feet. So they did demonstrate. She did demonstrate this on stage and people were like, oh shit. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's not fucking around. And she then goes on to explain they, meaning the neighbors, were convinced that someone had been murdered in the house because of all the wrappings and stuff that she had done. They asked the spirits through us about it. And we would wrap one for the spirit answer yes, not three as we did afterwards. The murder they concluded must have been committed in the house. They went over the whole surrounding county trying to get the names of people who had formerly lived in the house. Finally, they found a man by the name of Bell. And they said that this poor innocent man had committed a murder in the house and that the noises had come from the spirit of the murdered person. Bell was shunned and looked upon by the whole community as a murderer. So they ruined his life, mm -hmm, <laughs> essentially, mm -hmm. with this like little girl prank that went too far. Even Katie Fox, uh, Kate, would also say at some point, I regard spiritualism as one of the greatest curses that the world has ever known. So their motives were just enough's enough. We've been, going, we've been doing this for so long. We've we've ruined people's lives. They We're had also up, ruined their own the lives. They, um, yeah. you know, there was alcoholism going on. They were mm -hmm. burning through their money. I forget which of the sisters, but one of them kind of married someone of a different faith who was like, "You gotta, you gotta stop." Like, you know. And so, ironically, though, or interestingly, I should say, uh, they do try to recant all of this because, <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> of course, there's still money to be made. We're back. Uh, just kidding. Literally, Maggie was like, no, that was the spirits. They were just, they were, you know, <laughs> no. it wasn't me. I Hi, Greta, darling. Yeah, that's the beauty, I guess, of like being a medium. You could blame everything on the spirits. Officer, I didn't know that the parking meter had gone up. Those spirits didn't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but the damage was done to their reputation. They never really quite got things back as they were. But what's amazing is... To this day, the Fox sisters are still talked about in spiritualism as like true mediums. They love to conveniently leave out this part of the story where they're like, nah, it didn't happen. We don't talk about those in between years when they said they weren't mediums, but yeah. They were. Yeah. So, you know, it it did lead to some, there was a little bit of a decrease in popularity in these late 1880s, 1890s, because it was becoming more and more clear like this is bullshit. But then comes along. World War One! Hooray! Everybody's dead. Let's be sad. Again. Right. Yeah. And of course, you have the horrible influenza epidemic. So we're talking about way, way high numbers of death once again, and more people going through the same kind of grief of you were here one minute and then, and then you went overseas and I never saw you again. Mm -hmm. You know? So... It was really, uh, it was a really good time for spiritualism to get that extra kick that really helped it to continue to be extraordinarily popular up through the twenties. Mm -hmm. And really, the only thing that truly kind of shrunk its popularity was World War II, which is so interesting. But as we know, it never died out. It's still a thing today. And mm. as of right now, there are 144 spiritualist congregations in the United States, more than 300 in the United Kingdom, and hundreds of others in more than 30 countries around the world. 
Wow. And so what does a congregation comprise of when we're talking about this decentralized? Are they sort of clustered around several mediums or several Dude, conduits? it's wild. So I looked at Lilydale, which is one of the most famous ones. That one is in upstate New York. And that really is kind of the hub, the the epicenter. And it's the that's where the Nationalist Spiritualist Association of Churches is. And so Lilydale is essentially like a camp. Like you can go there for like summertime, go to attend seances, worship, healing services. Like a, like a camp meeting, which it's was very popular. literally that. Times. Yep. Yeah. So it's these spiritualist congregations where like anybody can roll through. It's mm. still informal in that way. Right. Like, I was trying to find like actual numbers of like how many members of the church are there. And I couldn't really quite find that. I saw like vague things of like tens of thousands of people visit every year, but it's like, but that's not telling me, okay, someone came from Wisconsin to go to Lilydale. Do they now consider themselves a member of the church? Right. This is why like, this is like, oh my God, I can't figure <laughs> out. Like, yeah. So these numbers are there, but we can't really quantify what that means. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A footprint or membership. That's as much as I understand of it today as sort of a real religion that exists of course we know mediums still exist today there's some there's a very famous one who lives out here on long island yes <laughs> caputo love her and she's one of those mediums where the spirits speak through her where she, they, they're just talking to her and she's speaking on their behalf which to me again is one of the easiest types of mediums you could be because you could just <laughs> say whatevs <laughs> stream of consciousness yeah yeah totes Absolutely. With the exception of the fact that those mediums have a talent for picking up on certain things and being like, you have a family member named John or something like that. And those types of tricks come from magicians. And mm. that brings me to what we'll be talking about next week, which is one of the most famous medium hunters ever, the greatest skeptic. And who was really, truly furious with the spiritualism movement. One mm -hmm. of my number one history boos, Mr. Harry Houdini. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to dive deep into his story in a couple of weeks and his story in terms of spiritualism. But also talk about just magic and what an incredible story that is. Because all of this like occult and esoterics and everything. It's such a fascinating intertwined story where there we go through these periods of time where it's absolutely part of the way of life. And then it's times when it's absolutely forbidden and unforgivable. And then all of a sudden it's entertainment. Right. This this desire to escape the banality of life. Think about magic being something that's just exciting yeah, and so supernatural, but then mm -hmm. also how spiritualism is a way of escaping the horribleness of death and living in death and yeah. all of that. So there's all different escape routes from just how difficult life can be every day yeah. and how revered people like Houdini were and the spiritualists because they provided yeah. an, an antidote, you know, and I'm really glad you brought up the burned over district. You know, mm -hmm. because that was something that was so big in Joseph Smith's imagination in Mormonism was his, he, he had a unique answer to the death problem in that you could baptize dead people. Yep. You know, and how because his brother had died and his brother had died before he had discovered the golden plates or discovered Moroni. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's at the crux of it. And mm -hmm. that trauma 
motivated him. And he's looking at all, he's surveying all the religions and going, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope. I'm picking all these holes in terms of what is missing here. Yeah. And I'm going to give you a direct line to this answer spiritually, which was very appealing to so many people. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's such an, it's such a fascinating moment in time. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. We, we are obsessed with it as people today. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> For sure. So before I leave you, let's talk a little bit about sort of how you can experience more on this. Are there museum treatments? Are there exhibits? Things like that. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can go to the Hydesville Memorial Park, where the original house that the Fox sisters lived in is no longer it burned down ages ago and they did have a replacement house, but they got rid of that too. So now it seems to me like it's more of an interpretive center and kind of its own little museum, if you will. And that stands atop the foundation of the house. Sure. So you, you could literally be stepping in the house, just, you know, in the footprint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for. It doesn't seem like it's open all the time, so I don't know if you <laughs> would need to. You know how those things are, Luke. <laughs> open every third Sunday for four hours. Yeah. They every leap year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you definitely want to check before you Always. go. Uh, Always. And it's remains under the care of the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, like I mentioned. So the Lilydale people, that's their property. And uh, it's kept up via volunteers, which again, most places like that are. This was where I really struggled was trying to find, is there like just a museum or some museums that are in charge of this topic? And no, is the answer. Not really. I found little things here and there. The Getty Museum apparently has a really great album of spirit photography. But, cool. you know, I don't know how often that's ever on display. I don't know if you can just mm. casually go in there and like rent it. <laughs> and see if and that's you can in California, do... right? Yeah, that's LA. Yeah. The one thing that you may find is there's a lot of smaller museums. Luke, you've kind of mentioned this before, too. A lot of museums have like Victorian rooms or the houses themselves were Victorian. So they might have like a, you know, like a little spirit trumpet or one little odd or end here and there. And often this time of year, specifically, a lot of them do like to do seances. They have mediums come in. There was one that I saw, uh, it's called the Buckland Museum. And that's in Ohio. They're currently having a uh, yeah, like a seance. And they it's that's a museum of like witchcraft. Evidently, it looks like a, a pretty tiny, cute cool. little place. Yeah. And so they're having a psychic come in and do readings and stuff, which sounds really, really fun. So I would look out for stuff like that if you're looking to really dive into the experience, obviously. Sure. And that stuff is all over places like New Orleans as well. You can easily get into a seance there. But so I reached out to a gentleman whose name kept popping up everywhere. His name is Brandon Hodge, and he is an incredible collector and researcher of items related to spiritualism. And so I kept seeing his photos of his stuff come up everywhere, mm. like it would always be credited to him. And I'm like, well, who is this guy? And so I looked at his website, which is called mysteriousplanchette.com. And at first I'm like, oh no, what is this? <laughs> and then I come to realize this guy is this extraordinary collector of all things planchette and Ouija and seance. And it's in his home. 
So, you know, it's not like he's renting out a space and and has his own museum, yeah. which is something it's we've talked collection. about. Yeah, which mm -hmm. is something we've talked about before. But he is always, as he told me, thrilled to have people come through. You obviously need an appointment because it is his house. <laughs> where but, is he, without giving too much away, where is he located? He is, I, I spoke to him about this and I said, do you mind if I kind of, you know, advertise a little bit. I don't want to inundate you or anything, but he's located in Austin, Texas. And you nice. can go to his website, Mysterious Planchette. And Planchette is P-L-A-N-C-H-E-T-T-E dot com. And just looking through his gallery alone is so interesting, so much fun. He also is part of the International Association for the Preservation of Spiritualist and Occult Periodicals which that website is amazing. And one thing that I learned from him that was just so sad was we had this great conversation about how a lot of this occult ephemera, this, uh, you know, esoteric stuff is not taken very seriously by museums. The Academy. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So like if I was to look through like, you know, all of these accredited museums, it's very near impossible to find a real collection of this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, which is why it ends up in the hands of someone like Mr. Hodge. Thank God, because otherwise he said, you have no idea how much stuff I've literally gotten out of the trash. I bet. Like periodicals bet. that were just going to be like thrown away, burned. It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's, and it's sad that when something has this sort of popular following, and I said this to him too, and, and I think you'd agree with this. I, f I find this as I go through this podcast more and more when something has like a little, a little blip in history where it's this really popular thing that happens for a period of time, it's just not given the amount of attention that it should, especially because the lasting effects of spiritualism, my God, it's crazy. It's crazy that there isn't just a museum just for this somewhere. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, there's something, I think, a historical blindness when it comes to fads or things that fell out of fashion. Yeah. And it's important to understand that a lot of the people who we revere or looked up to or study, there was a lot of other things happening in their lives, in their universe. And mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who were big believers in spiritualism, like Conan Doyle, so like many. Sam Clemens, like all the, these people. The Curies. Sure. Both of them. Yeah. And like everybody at least went yeah. to one seance, even people and that who... gives us a window into their world. That Absolutely. tells us about who they were and what motivated them and what their lives were like. And we can never uh, uh, capture historical truth completely. But if we are discounting major aspects of that, we're not we're not doing history a service at all. No. So hopefully amazing people like Brandon will continue to loan out his objects for uh, exhibits on the mm -hmm. topic because there are you know exhibits periodically that are fantastic on the subject the real hope is that at some point some institution does take this a little more seriously yeah. at the museum i work at we have a toys exhibit and there is a ouija board there and they are beautiful those the old ones ouija boards oh my god they're stunning oh yeah look they're at his website after this you won't believe mm. what he has they're, it's beautiful. So, so yeah. So that's that's it for this section of spiritualism. And I will be back with you in a couple of weeks to really dive in on Houdini magic and his war on mediums. Excellent. Yeah. This was so much fun. Yeah. Spookies. Spooky. Spookies. I didn't even ask you. Do you believe in this stuff? No. 
is stupid. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I have not had an experience. So sure. for that, I am. And, you know, same way I was when I was given those ghost tours. Never had an experience. Didn't feel anything. Never felt anything. Yeah. I believe in, you know, people spending money to go on these programs. And <laughs> the good thing, the good thing that that is for the museum, for the bottom line. I believe in that for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I believe in people's ability to believe. I'm a humanist. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. That's um, the best. But I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to take this journey with you in the next few weeks. Folks, thank you so much for listening to the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the Morbid Museum Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Morbid Museum for more morbid content. We'll see you next time for another spooky Halloween-themed October podcast within the Morbid Museum Podcast. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>